the more you know your customers, the more you understand their likes, dislikes, but also the other influences that are on them that are causing them to think differently enables you to have foresight and project where you want to be in five years and 10 years. How do you innovate culturally, internally with your team members and people to be able to meet future needs that your customers don't even know they need right now? Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Theron Skies, founder of the Designers Creative Studio. Theron is a highly adaptive, solution-oriented creative executive with 30 years of experience assembling and leading multi-discipline teams for both domestic and international projects in the theme entertainment industry. Theron is a veteran of Walt Disney Imagineering, and he has led diverse creation, design, and construction projects from hundreds of millions to multiple billions of dollars in a wide variety of experience types. He is a corporate culture evangelist who applies vision, strategy, focus, and high personal standards to advance design and increase brand equity by using stories as the key element to deliver business goals and make an emotional connection to guests. Theron is an organized, creative leader with an exceptional capability in managing multiple, concurrently running teams and is highly respected as a natural communicator who interfaces positively and professionally at all levels. He's always level-headed under pressure and does what it takes to get the job done. Leveraging his experience with multicultural teams on three continents, he is able to assemble the right team for any project and truly dream and build the impossible. Theron is the founder of the Designers Creative Studio that seeks to utilize his great skill and experience to the worldwide business community. He is also a global public speaker and guest educator at multiple universities. Listen in for some great takeaways about how Theron's time at Disney and his passion for creating unbelievable experiences for people has made him a go-to expert in his profession. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the awesome pleasure of being with Theron Skies, the founder of the Designers Creative Studio. Thanks for being here today, Theron. My pleasure. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So, you know, listen, I I know a bit about you, but before we jump in and have like a conversation about, you know, what you're doing and all the good stuff that's going on, can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about who Theron Skies is and how you kind of got to this point? It's, sure. It's a story that's quite a journey, actually, but I will keep it to 10 seconds. I found in my early days that I was pretty adept at art and design and this idea of creativity. I grew up in a, a house where my dad was a builder, so I was really uh, blessed to be able to put those two things together, creativity and 
sort of the idea of building and this idea of hard work. That led me to the film industry where I got into that industry by painting and building sets and sculpting. Uh, I was really good at, at 3D sculpting. And I had realized while in the film industry, it was a realization of a dream because I saw Star Wars, <laughs> like many yeah. people, and uh, revealing my age now. But 1977, I saw the original. And I was like, man, I, I have to do that with my life, whatever that is. Film was great, taught me a lot, but it was so temporary, I found myself wanting more. So that naturally kind of progressed me into theme park work. Started uh, with Universal Studios, went to France and built, uh, was a part of building that uh, base park there, working in one of my favorite attractions, Pirates of the Caribbean. And I got hired by Walt Disney Imagineering in 1997 and literally was with them for 23 years progressed through a bunch of different roles uh, from field art director. Those are the folks that are literally in the field, in the construction, managing contractors and kind of doing that art and construction thing. Progressed all the way through to senior executive role. It was a vice president role overseeing the Walt Disney Cruise Line from a design and creative standpoint, which was the islands, the all of the existing fleet and had a really great time working on an amazing team, uh, leading an amazing team to design the the three newest ships. Amazing. Great stuff. So you and I, giving a little bit of insight into me, are complete polar opposites. So <laughs> I have a hard time envisioning what a room will look like after somebody tells me what they're going to do to it. I have a very difficult time visualizing that. And you're the complete opposite of me. You probably can do that in a matter of seconds where I'm like, what did you just say? Even with a drawing, it's hard for me to put two and two together. It's a very challenging thing for me to visualize that kind of stuff. Well, I think what's interesting about what you just said is that you probably use a lot of communication skills when you're communicating about money mindset, right? About investing and helping your clients to understand that and visualize that. Well, I employ the same type of techniques of listening and really trying to communicate to them so they can help visualize this immersive kind of experience that they're going to have. Sure. Amazing. One of the things I want to talk about before we kind of jump into where you are today and, and what's going on, but having the Disney background is something that's fascinating to me. Their culture there, how they do business, as you're aware, they do classes on how to kind of do it the Disney way. What are some things that you think business owners can learn from that Disney experience, if you will? Because we do have a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that listen to the show, and we always want to give them some kind of great takeaways. And, and I think it's always fascinating how Disney does things. Absolutely. Well, I think it's great having, for myself personally, so much experience with a legacy brand like Disney Really, that's considered the gold standard in so many aspects of, of their work, of their product, if you would call it that. Having worked there for over 23 years, it's great to see how paired the level of service delivery is with the level of experience delivery. So if you would imagine a theme park and whatever one comes to your mind or whatever attraction or show that you like, you can probably remember how amazing that experience was, how detailed and the fact that that experience was driven by a story, you felt as a guest uh, connected to not just the place, but the characters, the action that you were as a guest invited in to kind of play 
in this space. And, and that emotional connection from an experience design standpoint is critical. That as creators, we call ourselves narrative experience designers, but that that's a very important component for us where we have to create this emotional connection with our guests. Well, you overlay on top of that the service that Disney is well known for providing, and you really end up with a mindset that I'm taking now with me into my company, where that's kind of what I do. I don't necessarily create physical experiences, although I do that. What I try to promote myself is, and what I learned from Disney is, every company is a brand. And whether you have a service or you create a product, your company has a brand and that brand represents something to your guests, to your audience members, but also internally to your company. So that's kind of the space that I work in is being able to communicate that brand at both levels internally by creating a corporate culture and then uh, externally by delivering a service or a product. Yeah, I think that's important. And I, I, I think I would argue you kind of have to start with that internal culture first and then turn it outwards because mm, that's really how you have the, the, the impact. If you, if you're only talking about that with the external stakeholders, if you will, or your, your clients or families that you work with, but the internal folks don't, don't align with, align with that, you're going to be found out very quickly. And I think that's one of the things that. Disney does very well as they've kind of ingrained it into that employee culture, cast member culture, whatever term you want to use. And that's kind of translated over to the guest and the guest experience, right? That's right. Well, it's so consistent. I mean, as a creative leader, I can tell you that one of the most important things I learned is the creative team, if you think of Imagineering as creative design and delivery and all those different aspects, you know, creative is there with the client. Disney's the client in the very, very beginning, and you're thinking through creative solutions to deliver on the brand, grow your audience, you know, deliver on the business objectives of a particular project. And that develops through concepts that you design those those concepts into communicating how to actually build something physical. You build the thing, you test it, you adjust mm-hmm. it. And then a very important component, and this is where a lot of companies miss it, is that that creative team that was there in the very beginning that developed those creative solutions, those creative business solutions, they are there at the very end of the project when you're, in a sense, turning over the keys to the owner, right? Imagineering is a separate division. We turn over the keys. We're there training that frontline employee in what the story is, how to invite the guest in. And I, I think a lot of companies want to duplicate what Disney does but they they kind of lose it on reentry, right? They they don't carry right. that brand component all the way through to the very first thing that the guest sees, and that's an, a frontline employee. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And one of the things I want to kind of shift over to is you know kind of share my experience. You know, I'm a Castaway K member, and for 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 those people who don't know what that is, uh, basically it's somebody who's cruised on the Disney cruises. And I, I have to say thank you for the amazing experience that my family has had. I will tell you this, and my wife tells this often, we booked our first cruise. I was like, how much did you spend on this cruise? <laughs> and and we went, and after the first night, I was, on lo- I was one of those guys online waiting to book the next cruise because even within the first evening, I knew that this was like that much better than any of the other cruises I had been on. And what I'd like to hear is, how do you approach the physical environments on a ship, right? There, 
you know, for a ship, for example, there's a lot of competition, a lot of boats out there. This is probably arguably a little bit different because a lot of boats are geared towards adults predominantly, not just kid, you know, not uh, kids included. This has to kind of appeal to everyone. And, you know, because I really like the physical environments, both on the boats and the island as well. So how do you approach that? And how does that change from one ship to another as you're making those new boats? Absolutely. That's a really detailed question. We could probably spend the rest of the of our, <laughs> of our time together on that. So I'll try to remain focused. I think what's amazing about Disney Cruise Line is it's had, you know, it's a 20 plus year old business. It's they've, right. they, when it started, if you remember, they leased another ship, the big mm-hmm. red boat. And I thought, what a super smart way to create an entry into the industry, to understand the industry, to see what's out there, to not dip your toe in the pool from an investment standpoint. You know, you're, you're not out over your skis from a capital right. investment standpoint. That's going to take you 30 years to get back. And you try something out. It was a raging success. What was done on an existing ship with all the limitations of that. Imagine opening a Disney park in, in another venue, right? Right. But the success of that really speaks to the Disney leadership, the teamwork at the time, putting that together. And, and of course, Disney launched into the business with their very first two ships, which was the Disney Magic and the Disney Wonder. Many guests who are Castaway Key members absolutely say those are the two best ships. We won't sail on anything else because they're <laughs> smaller, you know, they're very intimate. It's kind of this curated feeling, uh, you know, experience. I think what is uh, having, literally that being my last role with uh, Walt Disney Imagineering, and I was there for almost five years, it was a really big transition from going from theme parks, hotels, what we call RD&E, which is retail dining entertainment, you know, Disney Springs, this um, mixed-use urban development. What's different from that kind of work and cruise ship design is all of the others have outdoor spaces, right? You you have the right. benefit of this giant outdoor venue where you could put 40-foot trees and you can make 10-story buildings if you wanted to. And, you know, there is such a thing as a space mountain that you can see from the distance and it draws you in. You have none of those on a ship. It's primarily all interior spaces. So you have to really think differently about the space, not just internally, but it's very different than a park. You have circulation in a horizontal plane, so each deck, but you also have circulation right. in a vertical plane. And those adjacencies, I don't mean to get too technical, but those adjacencies, the, what space is next to what space, those are critical to the overall experience of your guest. And sure. um, so I found that challenging, but also incredibly fun to adapt that storytelling methodology for delivering the Disney brand experience in a very different, for me, very different design application. Yeah, I think the beginning of that story is very poignant for business owners, right? If you need or you want to kind of delve into this new business line, there are ways of doing it without having to kind of jump into the pool feet first and really get yourself soaked, right? Where if it works, you know, you'll be great. But if it doesn't, maybe a bit off a little bit too much you can chew. And I think that that represents, you know, what Disney did really represents the ability to kind of look outside the box, so to speak, and look for other opportunities to get that experience. So yeah, it's been great to see their success and the 
continued iterations of the new boats and we're we're excited we were supposed to be on the uh, the new boat this past summer but uh, unfortunately they changed the dates on us so oh, we no. weren't able to make it but we'll be looking forward to that hopefully soon one of the things i've heard you say is being laid off from Disney was one of the best things that ever happened to you. And this is something that, quite frankly, we hear from time to time, actually more often than not, from people who become entrepreneurs as a result of kind of having their back to the wall. They, you know, So what was it for you? Why was it uh, such a good thing? And why was it one of the best things that ever happened to you in your situation? That's, it's a great question. You know, one of my, maybe this will help explain it. One of my favorite quotes uh, is attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt. And um, I really feel like it represents kind of my approach to life in general, but specifically business. And the quote goes, I'm like a teabag. You never know how strong I am until you put me in hot water. And and my career with Imagineering really it, we equated to that. I was put into, uh, in fact, every new role that I had with Imagineering was something I'd never done before. It was brand new, teams I'd never worked with, and that was perfectly fine for me because I guess I was just wired that way. And, you know, moving through the ranks, taking on bigger and bigger roles was really what I wanted. I, I didn't necessarily care about the title and the rank and now I'm bonus eligible. Those things were nice, but that wasn't for me personally the motivation. I liked the idea of larger oversight, bigger story with multiple kind of layers and levels to it. And Managing a project on the multi-billion dollar level creatively is very different than managing it on the multiple thousands or or even millions or even hundreds of millions. Sure. The stakes are so much higher. So I just paint that picture to say as a corporate executive, and I'm sure many of your listeners will, this will resonate with, I was in the fast lane 70 hours a week. I was traveling at least one week a month. And when I mean traveling that you leave on a Sunday afternoon, you don't get back till a Saturday afternoon or evening, and it's 100% to the wall the whole time you're traveling. When we were doing ship design, it's it's not like doing a theme park where you just walk out of your office and drive to the site. You know, you fly nine hours to the shipyard, right. and it, actually it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Amsterdam to the shipyard. So the investment of getting there was was really high. So all of that, when that goes away— went away for me. I was on a seven-month furlough. That actually, once I got past the unsurety of it all, I realized this was a gift because very few opportunities ever come up in life for you to stop and kind of think and reevaluate. You know, I just turned 55 uh, this year in March, and I felt like I had been able to do so much in my career. And one thing I really wanted to do was to manage the rest of my career the way that I wanted to. So right. I started my company and I do all kinds of different things, consulting. I do lots of keynotes and workshops where I help other companies, other CEOs. I do a lot of executive coaching and it keeps me busy doing the things that I love and interacting with people that I, I really enjoy working with. And that's why I enjoy, I enjoy what I'm doing now. What I did before, it's not that I, I hated it. It just was the right timing for me. And um, I couldn't be happier doing what I'm what I'm doing now. Yeah, I mean that's fantastic. And we, you know, we talk to clients, and I talk about it often, right? 
you know, there comes this point, and I kind of term it myself like the point of no return, right? <laughs> Where you go to school, you, you kind of get this craft, you start going down this lane of whatever it is career wise. And then you end up where, you know, you fast forward. Now you got a family, you have mortgage, you have obligations. There's a lot going on. And you, you kind of hit this point of no return where hopefully you're really passionate about what you, you're doing and that'll keep you and, and run you through the rest of your career. But if you're one of those folks that ends up in a position where, you know, the, the passion starts fading a little bit, it becomes difficult to make that 180 degree turn, uh, you know, of your own free will, unless you do a lot of planning from a uh, financial perspective to maintain that. And that's why I think we've kind of seen this onset of the gig economy, because it really gives people the ability to kind of try out that second thing that they're passionate about to see if they have something there to transition them till full time. And that's been very passionate. So it's great when opportunities like this, because probably you felt like I would be successful, but there's so much comfort in knowing what you're doing over here. And it's something you're comfortable with that Disney giving you that little push over the edge kind of really pushed you in the right direction. And uh, you failed forward, so to speak. I don't know if it's fail, you know, I guess you fell forward is a, is a better term than uh, than fail forward. Here, well, it's but. interesting that you said fail forward because that that is a principle that I use. I teach a lot of students when I lecture in universities and thing and things that that risk taking is so important to your own personal satisfaction. Right? Mm-hmm. How many people go to their later life when they're retired or? or even in their golden years, and they they think to themselves, wow, I, I wish I would have taken more chances. I wish I would have tried more things. And I never wanted to be in that position. So yeah. when the company said, hey, we have an opening, it's an immediate need to go to Paris. Uh, would you want to work, you know, in this particular job? You know, I had four kids, my wife, we all six of us packed up, moved to Paris. Everybody on your listening right now is probably thinking, oh, how dreamy, right? But I mean, this is Paris. I mean, there was some right. a lot of challenges finding four different schools for my kids. And we always wanted to be in that place where we didn't mind taking risks. And we went straight from Paris to Hong Kong for four years, totally <laughs> different culture. Go. So I guess that when the opportunity came for me, when it, the company was saying, look, we're in this pretty bad space, we're laying off literally thousands of people, and this happened, it wasn't a big stretch for me to say, don't mind it. It's a risk. I'm going to jump into it and just, uh, you know, take it on head on. There you go. Hey, listen, you quoted Eleanor Roosevelt, right? <laughs> I'm going to quote Coach Casarella, who was the athletic director at my high school. And awesome. he used to say this all the time, every year. He'd say, whatever you do in life, whatever you do on the field, life, wherever, just make sure you're never in the shoulda, woulda, coulda club. And, so good. You know, that resonates with me to this day. And, uh, you know, it stands the test of time. It's always true, right? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things you talk about is for businesses and their narrative to have a why, right? And I think probably the most well-known person that talks about that is Simon Sinek, you know, talks about finding your why. Why do you think that is so important to a business in, in creating that narrative? Oh, man, another great question. And Simon, personal hero of mine, I've read m- much of his... Have you read Infinite Game yet? I have not. 
I have okay. not. Okay, I'm in the middle of that at the current time. I yes. would highly suggest it awesome. is fantastic so far. Well, well, thanks for contributing to my addiction. I've got several books that I'm in the middle of, and I can't seem to get to the end of any of them. So uh, I'll add that one to the pile. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I, I think why is so important from a couple of different levels. You mentioned it from a corporate level, a business level. I do, uh, obviously, there's great value in understanding that for yourself as an individual, whether you consider yourself a leader or not, or whether your company has labeled you a leader or not, I think the why personally is is critical. But frankly, I use the why, that whole process, the golden circle, as uh, Sinek talks about it, with uh, clients, where I've been hired for quite a few different clients that have asked me to come in and help them refine their brands, for example. So the very first thing I do is I go through, I go through their why. Who are you as a company? Why do you do what you do? And then from there, the how and the what are, are quite a bit easier to put together because I really believe, and this is the way that I approach that kind of work, is that your why, your why story as a company actually should be expressed in every single touch point of your brand, your website, your frontline managers, your salespeople, your service people, your Instagram account, you know, fill in the blank. Every single touch point should be an opportunity to engage your customer, your audience, in the why of your company. I think that's so very powerful. And with a particular client I'm thinking about, we took that why all the way through to a physical brand expression. We, I helped them still, and actually in process right now, that's why I'm not saying the client's name, <laughs> we're designing a flagship store. Now, this is a 50-year-old, 50-year-old family brand that had the courage to say, we need to really take a hard look at this and we need some crazy guy from the theme park industry to, uh, which is not their industry to really think about this and, uh, kudos to them for, for doing that and sure. really thinking that through. And now we've taken all of those whys and we're now building that in a physical brand expression of a flagship store for them. That's translated to form and color and style and. So um, you can take that why and go quite far with it and create a consistency in your brand. Yeah, well, basically, it's where everything gets rooted, I guess, right? Everything stems from that. So along those lines, you know, one of the things you talked about earlier was we were talking about creativity and storytelling, having your brand tell your story, if you will. And we're talking about that again. So how do you use that creativity and story? telling to design experiences that connect and make memories, right? Because if I go somewhere, whether it's retail or service, whatever it may be, if there's something that's creative and tells me a story and I walk away with a memory, you know, I feel like I'm connected now to that brand, which I guess is why it's so critical. So how do you go about creating that? Does it start with the why and then you go from there? How do you create that? I'm a big believer in uh, the Pine and Gilmore experience economy approach. I really am a big believer in that. If you kind of take everything that you just said and go backwards just a little bit and dissect that, we're really talking about, again, whether it's a product or a service of whatever, we're dealing with human beings here. And mm -hmm. human beings, fascinatingly, it's been discovered through lots of different research that human beings catalog memories in their mind, our, our DNA. We catalog memories in a story format. That's why, and I always laugh because I'm an old guy now, that's why I'm always, the older I get, the better I used to be, right? It's, uh, you know, you, you begin to fill in gaps that you don't remember. 
So yeah. when you think of that in terms of human beings remembering experiences in a story way, it only makes sense to create experiences that are driven by a story. As individuals, we have experiences all day long. As companies, we should be thinking that our guests who engage with us, our customers, I like to think of them as audience members, our audience should be having good experiences with us, right? Every type of interaction, every type of experience they have with our brand, your brand, should be designed to be a memorable and a great experience. And I would submit to all of your listeners that an experience that's not designed has the opportunity to go off the rails and be a bad experience. Nobody wants that headline. But if you create those good experiences that are story-driven, that create an emotional connection between your audience and your brand, what you do is quite magical in that sense. That audience member now wants to come back and have that experience with your brand again and again and again. And that's kind of what I learned with Disney. And surprisingly, it works incredibly well in every single vertical of the economy that I've, that I've worked in now. And, um, and so I'm excited to say that because I know your listeners come from many different segments of the economy, but story is a consistent element that can drive brand equity with your customers in a way that other things don't. Yeah. And if you do that really well, you like, like Disney also, you get pricing power, right? Too. <laughs> That's true. You could charge a premium for it. You could increase prices over time. There, there's a lot of additional benefits to a business that you get if you can continue to get that customer or audience member continually coming back. Right? And it, it, it actually creates built in differentiation within your own segment, you know, because it's your brand story. And if you right. think of your customers as audience members, then you can think of them as fans. So I, I love right. what Simon says, uh, right, is that thinking in terms of why is not just thinking of a customer base who needs what you produce, but think of a customer base, an audience base that resonates with why you do things. That yes. guarantees a connection with your customers long, long, long before you produce something different, right? If you only connect on the product or service level, you always have to be innovating new products and new services, and you're always at war with everybody else in your segment. But if they connect with you as a brand and resonate with why you do things, it gives you a lot more flexibility and differentiation power. Agreed. I would imagine one of the things that is very important for you as somebody who's trying to help an organization or a company to kind of create these stories and create these memories, it's important for you to know really your clients and the customers really, and, and, and their customers and more or less the company really, really well. And I know you talk about that. So why is it so important to know a company really well? How does that help? You know, if, if I'm a business, right, we're Midland Financial, how does it help me or any other business to know my clients, know the families we serve really well? What does it help me to knowing as much as possible about those families? What I've learned is that you, having the experience with Disney, you're talking about the broadest possible demographic of any business segment in the in the global economy. It's Agreed. from two to ninety two, right? And right. and all of the complexities that that involves of of trying to produce experiences for that breadth of a, of a demographic. So knowing your audience, your current audience, your current customer base is really important because that tells you a story about who currently engages with your brand. But it also should allow you some foresight to project ahead that showcases 
how would you grow your brand? How would you grow your customer base? How, you know, your audience? What stories would you tell? What abilities to differentiate would you employ the more that you know your customers? And I, I think that's just critical to understanding that, especially when we know that we're in a, a, an economy worldwide where we have a very mature and a very, I would even say, jaded customer base, right? In my industry, when you're talking about designing experiences, you can't buy a Blu-ray movie disc today that doesn't have hours of content on how they did everything and how many theme park videos have come out that showcase interviews on how everything is done. You're dealing with a jaded audience. Magic isn't, you know, surprise and awe and wonder is very difficult to come about organically and naturally. And that, that statement applied to all of the different business segments Larry, that, that you, that of your listeners, I would assume in that segment, it's difficult to really find true differentiation that is seen as an additional value by your customers. So I would submit that the more you know your customers, the more you understand their likes, dislikes, but also the other influences that are on them that are causing them to think differently enables you to have foresight and project where you want to be in five years, and 10 years? How do you innovate culturally, internally with your team members and people to be able to meet future needs that your customers don't even know they need right now? Right. That's, uh, you know, one of the things that our founder, well, the founder of Carson Group, who we're a uh, partner firm to, he talks about us having tools going forward and innovating tools that will identify and plan for financial and other life events for people before they actually even know they need that planning right. or that advice and guidance and and trying to be that far ahead of the curve. And I think that that's what you're describing to a T is you really want to be in that place. And once you can solve for that, you're, you're in a great place with the families or your audience, however you want to term those folks. Absolutely. A perfect example is the Apple iPhone, just as one device. I mean, Jobs right, Steve, never took a survey of current phone owners that informed him to, hmm, I need to create this handheld computer. He didn't do that. He used all of the information available to him, all the trends, everything that was happening, and his own personal vision and passion and invested millions to, in a bit of a risky situation, right, to create something that everybody would would want in the future. I love that mindset. And I think for each of us, business owners, entrepreneurs, at at all of our different levels, we can adopt the same kind of mindset and begin to carry with us a culture of creativity and innovation, even in very small ways every single day. Right. Well, talking about that, you talk about creativity should be part of every of a company culture. You know, why is that so important? I mean, I think I have an idea, but, you know, from you, why is that so important to have that creativity component to the corporate culture? It's great that you asked that question, because I'm often heard saying that I do think that that businesses, business people, the business side of every business should be more creative and that the creative side of every business should be more business-minded, right? We need a greater crossover. We need more ways to stitch that together because it's very easy to get siloed, especially in the uh, the work-from-home culture. That really needs to happen. I think businesses need to be more creative because maybe said differently, I think that more businesses should consider what it's like operating as a startup, right? It's nimble. Mm -hmm. It's fast. It's not 
multiple layers of decision-making. There's a level of trust. There's a level of risk-taking that's allowed where you can, you said it, Larry, fail forward. You can make some mistakes, but you're testing it. You're concepting. I think that as human beings, we get very comfortable when we move into something that's successful personally in our lives and then in business. If we have a product, product line, or range of products that become successful, you can just sit right there and camp on that. Not to rub salt in the wound, but you can go through a long list of big box stores that did that, right? Sears, Toys R Us, et cetera, et cetera. And those folks are no longer around. Mm -hmm. It's the not invented here syndrome, right? The Swiss watch story where innovation came from inside and the Swiss watch leader said, not here. We didn't invent it. So those guys went and said, fine, we'll sell it to Texas Instruments and others. And within a year or so, uh, they lost mm. market share. So there's a lesson in there for all of us to, even if it's a, a division of a very large company that should be very nimble, very fast on their feet, get rid of all the layers and just think in terms of impossible things. What's impossible? How would we tackle this? No matter how impossible it is. And anyways, I like to bring that to companies that sometimes feel stagnated in their ability to move forward and uh, shake it up, get yourself a, a SWAT team, you know, yeah. around this and and really take that kind of lean approach. Listen, I, I love it. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, one of our core values here at Midland is review, question and improve. Awesome. I tell our stakeholders all the time, listen, just because we, you know, one of the worst things I think you could ever say is. Well, why are you doing it this way? Because this is the way we've always done it. You know, that to me is like, that's like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. Just because we did it that way for the last however long doesn't mean it's going to be the best way to go forward. Right. And just because we're doing it away doesn't mean that it's the best way. So if you see something different, you see something better, let's bring it up. Let's chat about it and let's see if it makes sense. And maybe it's 100% that, or maybe it's a combination of what we're doing now and that, but it's always good to kind of review, question, and improve at at all points along the way, because it just makes you a better company, you deliver better service, better products, whatever it may be for your company. Right. Um, I always ask them to to think about the headlines, right? Right. We always played it safe, and uh, it's going out of business sale. You know, know, we took risks. We may have lost some money, but now we've innovated into a whole new market. Uh, And now our market share is up and our customer base has grown. You know, innovation and that idea of always not being 100% satisfied as to where you are, which is a startup mindset, right? Right. I think is it does really, really well for companies. Not to harp on it, but this is what the infinite game is all about, is thinking about attacking things with an infinite time perspective instead of like a quarter by quarter time perspective. So I know you you don't want to open up another one, but it might be uh, worth your while. But you know, one of the things I've heard you talk about is that you're somewhat picky when it comes to working with clients. And that resonated with me because here at Midland, we have a, we have a similar approach, right? We don't want to be everything to everybody. We want to be everything to a small select group of people that we could work with for a long time. And our initial meeting with folks is called, we actually named it, and is there a fit meeting? Because really our first goal from that meeting is to see if 
we're going to be a good fit for you. And if you're going to be a good fit for us, and if we have a basis to even move forward from from this point on, because we want to be very mindful on who we take on. Why do you feel that, you know, having a screening process and, and having that exploratory process with a potential client is so, so crucial to a business? Well, I'll tell you the reason that I did it personally, which is quite a bit more self-focused, if I'm being completely honest, and then I'll try to broaden it, (laughs) how it can apply to other businesses. For myself, at the point in my career, it was less about the money, and it was more about working with people that I really enjoy. And frankly, having clients where my contribution really felt like it moved the needle. I I didn't want to just be another consultant that pushed the can two or three feet forward I really wanted to be a participant that really helped and was as a, was a real solution-oriented contributor. Sure. Plus, coming out of a, 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 a corporate culture where, as a very wise senior executive once told me, you can't choose your parents and you can't choose your bosses. <laughs> and he was really, really right, because you get in the wrong, under the wrong leader, which I think many of us have, have experienced before. That could could really stifle your creativity, your productivity, and and literally the general feeling of meaning in your job, which if you like Daniel Pink, you know, talks a lot about yeah. motivation. That actually kills productivity when you have that. So so that was kind of my selfish reason. I don't want to work with a jerk. I don't care if they've got a dump truck of jewels in my front right. yard. I, I just would rather not work with somebody that's it's not conducive to a great relationship. I think that works for companies as well, because sometimes the wrong client, even though they might represent a really good monetary benefit, they might represent a really good promotional benefit. It's the, you know, a client that you could write about and, and really get a lot of accolades over. The process you have to go through to keep that client happy or to deliver on that client could occupy so much of your staff. So much of your own, if you're the leader, so much of your own personal time and energy and emotion that it just may not be worth it. So my kind of advice, uh, my counsel would be just consider that the shiny objects sometimes are just that, just shiny objects and the, the, how much it costs to get the benefit of that shiny object oftentimes doesn't weigh out. So. I always try to counsel people really think that through. Are you really ready to give what it may take? to get those benefits. I agree with you. And if you're starting up, right, it's sometimes hard to say no to those folks, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I talk about, okay, well, think about it. Is this somebody you're going to still want to work with and have them their demands the same way they are today, six months, 12 months, 24 months down the road? Because if not, then don't even go down the road because it's going to be harder for you to unwind it and get out of that down the road than it is to just say, listen, this isn't a good fit today and and move on. And you'll probably be able to replace that with somebody who is ideal in somewhat quick fashion, I I think at least. I agree. uh, I mean, getting repeat work from clients that felt like you did such a great job, even if it's a smaller uh, client, a smaller project, you know, in in the beginning, you're building steps, right? And Mm -hmm. I think most of us are wise enough to understand that, especially in the beginning, probably even when you're a mid-sized company, any kind of client that looks like it's going to be, oh, this could put us way ahead. It's this giant step and won't it be easy? Most times that costs you more than you consider in the beginning. And it's, it's better to take some of those 
smaller steps where you've got clients that are really bragging about your service, your product, you know, sure. your your collaboration. Yeah. Agreed. Well, listen, Theron, it, it's been great having you on the show. And this is the Midland Money Mindset. So we end every show by asking each of our guests the same question. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Wow. Great question for today, because I feel like I have a really great answer. <laughs> I've been working with a, with an existing client, uh, doing something that I really enjoy in the Middle East. And uh, they just brought another project to me because they've appreciated our collaboration. So um, I wrote a proposal and some more, this morning was sort of a kickoff meeting. Well, it was I'm on the East Coast, so it was 3 a.m. East Coast time. So I put in uh, five hours or so before even <laughs> my breakfast uh, on this with this client. And it's a project that I, I'm really passionate and super excited about. So even though it was early, even though it was hard work, I came to the show, you know, pumped up and excited and, and just, just really feeling blessed in, the, in, the, in that space. So that set awesome. my mind right. You're going to get like two days of work worth of work today. On, and, <laughs> it's, so. and it's a Monday too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, so you're gonna, bonus. You're going to start off the week in a, in a great shape. So, Well, listen, Theron, it's been great having you on the show. And we'll have all of your information in the show notes. But if people want to learn more about you, learn more about the Designers Creative Studio, what's the best and easiest place for them to do that? Well, thank you for that opportunity. Um, I have a website, obviously, the Designers Creative Studio. I'm in the process of changing that around a little bit. So go there and check me out. Probably the easiest is LinkedIn. Uh, it's the majority of my connections. You can also find me on YouTube. I am, also have an Instagram account, the regular socials. Uh, I'm on there. Love to connect with uh, any of your listeners. I have a lot of content out there on the type of things that I've been talking about. So hopefully if anybody wants any more information, they can source that and find it. Awesome. Theron, thank you so much for taking the time out to spend with us. I appreciate it greatly and uh, make it a great day. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All the best. I want to thank Theron Skies for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Theron has taken his creativity and used it to create some of the most memorable experiences for people everywhere. You can tell that Theron is deeply passionate and truly puts a thousand percent into everything he does. There are certainly some great nuggets that any business can take away from our conversation and implement today. Theron and the Designers Creative Studio can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. 
To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.